Good morning. Good morning. Again, Again. How, are how are you all? Sorry, I, I, I will look at you. I just don't want my iPad to go off. One of, could we, can I ask you guys to stand just real quick? I, well, I'm not sorry. That would be lying. I don't want to lie before you preach. That's never a good idea. Um, if you have a Bible, can you pick it up in your hand, please? It's just a representation of God's Word. And I wonder if we could just hold it in our hand or maybe put it on your heart. I'm just going to ask the Lord. I wonder if each one of you could do the same, to speak to us this morning through His Word and to give us open ears. You know that Charles Wesley used to read the Bible, the latter part of his life, on his knees. And, and some people have a strange reverence for, in a sense, a book. But when we recognize that the words in it are actually living and they carry power. So I wonder if we can just pray that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's your word, not man's. And we pray that your word penetrates hearts today, opens our minds and our hearts and our eyes to see the ways of God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to go through this. We're in the middle of a series called Building Blocks for Partnership with God. And we've been on worship. Um, and I've had many of you actually come to me and say they've never heard some of this. And uh, which, which is wonderful, also sad to me in a sense. But the whole understanding of that in David's day, he developed something. It was an Old Testament system called David's Tabernacle, but it was a New Testament expression. It is actually representing what the New Testament church, in a sense, would look like, specifically with God, regards to praise and worship. And so I know we've touched on a lot. It would be difficult for me to recap, so uh, I encourage you to go and you know, listen if you need to. But... The bigger picture of what we're actually speaking about is partnership. The Holy Spirit longs for partnership. God, all through the Bible, partners with people to accomplish what He wants to do. Hello. And so the Lord is looking for partnership. Now, there's a famous, very well-known verse in 2 Corinthians 1. It says, and I don't think you're going to have this come up behind me because the Lord just put this part of my heart this morning. But it says, for all the promises of God... In Him, in Christ, are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So all the promises of God are yes and amen. Who gives the promises? Who speaks the amen? Don't be, don't be afraid. Us. What does amen mean? So, so be it. So all through the Scripture... An expression of faith, if we can understand it, is that God actually initiates. Everything God initiates. Sometimes we think we do, but it's in a response to something that He's revealed, or that He's shown, or that He's done. God initiates, and when, say, let's say, a revelation, He gives revelation of who He is, He initiates truth. He's the one who initiated and reached out and touched your heart and changed your heart and grabbed you and snatched you, and you respond, yeah? So God initiates, we respond. When we respond, then God responds. That's when He moves. God will initiate all through the Bible. We respond to Him, and then He responds back. This is the essence of faith. And so when we're looking at praise, or worship, or the different ways that David in his day partnered with the Lord. We touched on prayer, now we're looking at worship, in our third week on worship. It is through praise that invites partnership with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's in praise that we come into agreement. Because heaven is looking for a witness. Everything is established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Heaven is looking for a witness, but the Holy Spirit looks and waits for agreement. He waits for something here to match something there. And He's looking for agreement. And so the Lord will initiate with a revelation, with a truth, with a changed heart, with something. And then He waits for a response. Because of actually, He protects free will at all costs. And then we respond. And then He responds. And praise will actually bring a people, a people or a person, into agreement with the Lord 
I don't want to say better than, but often faster than even prayer. Because prayer is often about us. It's just, oh, Lord, you know, it's, prayer can very quickly become about us. I'm not taking anything away from prayer. We've touched on that. But praise is based in who He is. And so the partnership with heaven, the authority, David discovered the authority of agreement. There's an authority when there's an agreement with heaven, with the Lord, with partnership. Then the authority of God comes, the government of God comes, the resources of God comes, the blessing of God comes, because of a response that is actually in agreement with what he's doing, with what he's saying, with what he said. And that's the walk of faith. So, Jesus comes along and says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, because he said, I, I won't send him until I've gone back to the Father. He said, but when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will not speak on his own authority. That's how Jesus operated. He said, I don't speak on my own authority. I don't do my own will. I do his will, and I say his words, and I do what he's doing. So he says, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be to you a teacher, like he's talking to the disciples, as I've been to you a teacher. I was the one who taught you, he will teach you. I was the one who revealed things to you, he will reveal to you. I was the one who gave you power and authority, he will be everything to you who I've been to you. That's actually what he was teaching the disciples. And he says, but when he comes, he will be just like me in the fact that I did not speak on my own authority, neither will he. So the Holy Spirit is in our midst today. He's here. But he is always waiting for us to come into agreement. And when we do, then he can be himself. And he can display the kingdom. I find praise does that better than anything else. And that's why we're touching on worship. Because it is a form of partnership with God. We even see this. I discovered this, I don't know, many years ago. It actually struck me. I was studying curses, believe it or not. But you know the word amen? And then I read years later, I found it in a book. I said, oh, I'm not crazy. Someone else wrote about it. There's something called the ministry of amen. Amen was spoken before the day of David 13 times in the Bible. Before David's day. All the history. 13 times it's mentioned. David comes about, institutes what we're talking about, the tabernacle of David, continual musical worship or praise and worship unto the Lord for 33 years with the, with the ark of God is placed with no veil. The other tabernacle is operating at the same time under Moses's, in a sense, structure. We've talked about this last two weeks. So you have two tabernacles on the same time. But until that day, every time the word amen is spoken, because we speak the amen. We, the one who speak it, must come out. Of, we must say something. Every time agreement or the word amen was spoken was in response to a curse. It was under the law. Then David comes about. He institutes musical praise and worship, something that he saw in heaven. He puts it on the earth for 33 years, the exact same length as Jesus' life. And from that time, the word amen in the Old Testament is mentioned 13 times. 13 before, 13 after. But every single time, it's in response to a blessing, to a breakthrough, to a healing, or to favor, no curse. Every time. What changed it? Praise. What David established. Something of the New Testament we see in the Old Testament. I hope that makes, hope sense. That makes sense. Why? Why? Because the Lord is looking for partnership. He is looking for partnership. The Holy Spirit is always in our midst. He's within us. You are the temple. But when there's agreement, when we come into agreement with the Lord, and it has a lot to do with what we say, when we respond, then God responds. And that is the walk of faith. So, can we look at the, continue to look at the tabernacle of David? You guys good? To do a little bit more study. Who of you have found, don't just say this for me, who have never heard of this type of teaching before? Man, interesting. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it not my preaching? But isn't it so profound, just the praise and the worship of God from His people? So, 
Tabernacle of David. Last week, I said we're going to look at the Davidic order of worship, the kings of old, and the seven Hebrew words for praise. And we only got to number one. So, we're going to try to do the other two today. The Davidic order of worship, we looked at all the words that it uses. We did a little study. We read a lot of scripture. We'll read some more today. We looked at the words that it uses to describe the appointment in a sense and what these incredible people that God appointed, that David and his captains appointed in, under a king's authority in that time. And we know, just to remind you, there were two tabernacles now for the first time ever on the earth. The tabernacle of Moses under the priest Zadok, going through all the sacrifices and rituals and everything that was needed with the blood and with the, with the cleansing of, of, of sin by the blood of animals, bulls and goats. And that was all happening about eight to nine miles away on Mount Gibeon under that priest. And there was 24,000 Levites that were separated by David and put over there to help that system. But then for the first time ever, the ark wasn't there. The ark he put in a tent that he erected, which wasn't, didn't look the same. It was just a tent with no veil. And all the Levites were allowed to come in who were appointed to this. And there were about 10,000 people that David employed full-time in musical worship. And they were coming into the presence of God where the ark of God was. And they worshiped continually. They were brought in, it says, most likely hour by hour. We don't actually know different writings that I've read different rabbinical literature. But they were t for 33 years, there was continual praise and worship in the presence of God, which was actually against the law, because only the high priest could go into where the ark of God was once a year with blood. Now you have all the people, and how many sacrifices, actual like sacrifices, were done in this tent? One. Representing one day there's coming a once-for-all sacrifice. Jesus Christ. And they do one sacrifice. And that one sacrifice that's coming will open the veil. There will be no veil. That's why the curtain was ripped. And all people will be able to come in and worship God in His presence. And we find this expression in the Old Testament. And for some reason, I'd never really heard it taught on or preached on. And that's when God really started to move my heart. So He appoints these people, and this is what it says about them. We covered this last week. It says they were in authority, and we know there was David and Kenaniah, the music master. He taught them prophetic worship. And then there was the three chief musicians under him, uh, He-Man, uh, Jaduthan, and Asaph. And under them were the 288 singers, which were like worship leaders. And under him, 4,000 musicians. And then under them, the brethren of second rank in 1 Chronicles 15, which is the 4,000 gatekeepers. So we have this incredible structure, and they knew what it was to be under authority. We covered that last week. And then they were appointed to an office. They were full-time employed. We went over this. They were chosen, the Bible says. They were chosen. They were expressed by name, which means pierced and perforated. Sometimes that's what it takes to carry the glory of God. It's not like God demands it. But when you start to step out with the Lord, the world will, people will, the church will, it's like you feel stabbed at times, and you become pierced. But they were expressed by name, they were separated, they were instructed. You know what's interesting is that every person here, every person here, there's New Testament version of this for every one of you. What do I mean? Every person here. You are born again, just like you had to be born a Levite to be included into that. You have to be born again into a family, the family of God, and you become part of His family. You become a royal family member. So we have to be born into this, just like them. Then what happens? What did Jesus say in John 1? He said, says this, as many as received him, he gave the, word, he gave the right. That word right, he gave the right to become children of God. That word right, exousia, is actually the word authority. So you have to be born into it, just like the Levites. Then you are given authority, just like them. They were under the authority of the king. And whose authority are you given? The king's. It's amazing. Look at John 15. Well, you, I don't think it's coming up behind me. We looked at the words appointed and chosen. Look at John 15. What did Jesus say? You did not choose me, but I chose you. There it is in the New Testament. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. 
So everything we went over last week, friends, it is for every one of us. We were all born into this. We have all been given authority under the king. We have all been chosen by the Lord. We have all been instructed. We have all been appointed. Every one of us. The word instructed is even in Hebrews 5. This applies to every New Testament priest, which is a Christian. We know this, yeah? Every New Testament priest. This is actually what applies. So, I'm going to, then the two systems came together. Can I read this quickly? 2 Chronicles 5. Those two tabernacles came together in the temple of Solomon. And from that day onwards, from that day, Every time Israel would forget the Lord and wander away from the Lord and then had to get restored, the house of God, it actually says this in 2 Chronicles 35, the house of God, it says they needed to set the house of God in order. The house of God was never, never, ever, until Jesus considered to be set up fully, like to be set in order again because Israel had fallen away, unless it was reestablished both with the sacrificial system and the musical praise system. It literally says that over and over and over and over, from here, from this time, all the way until the New Testament, until both were set up according to the command of Moses and according to the command of David. They did not consider the temple or the house of the Lord to be fully set in order. I see it in the modern churches. Every, there's all, every church is autonomous, the way I see it. Every church has their own, in a sense, they're autonomous. But there are entire movements which they only like express one truth or one side. But this side of worship, you know, forgiveness for sin, salvation, which is absolute and, of course, central. But this issue of worship and praise and the partnership of the Holy Spirit through praise and worship which is outlined in Scripture, only in the last, there's been some, but in the last 15, 20 years, you see pockets of this popping up all over the world. Who's noticed this? I mean, you can go online and find one million different songs that are excellent, that are, it's like there's something God is doing that has to do with this, because praise and worship sets the foundation for the glory of God to come, all through the Bible. So, what happened when the two systems came together? 2 Chronicles 5. And it came to pass, this is now they spent 33 years, think about this, preparing for this moment. David instituted something for 33 years, continual praise and worship, 10,000 employees in a sense, helps to be the king, pay them all. 10,000 employees, he institutes this for 33 years, and it is actually to prepare for this event. And it says, it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, because now they've built the temple of Solomon, so now both systems come together. For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the, at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And with them, sorry, 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. So all 4,000 people were actually playing. Imagine a 4,000-piece orchestra. It's actually what was happening here. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good. For his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. So you have 120 priests with trumpets, one in heart, making one sound with singers. And the Spirit of God, the kabod, the weighty glory of God, descends and fills the house and remains there. A thousand years fast forward, you have 120 New Testament believers in Acts chapter 2. There's a sound that is heard 
it says they were with one heart, with one mind. And there's a sound that is heard, and the Spirit of God comes down and fills the temple. You. And in a corporate expression, us. It's exactly the same. What prepared for that incredible event when the Spirit of God comes down and actually remains? Praise. Praise will prepare a vessel for God to fill it with glory throughout the Bible. So we're going to look at that. I was going to go over with you the seven kings of old. You guys alive? Okay. I'm going to do that because it would take too long. Maybe we can do that another time. You can throw up some of the scriptures behind me. Every time there were seven, in a sense, revivals, and I would call it that in the Old Testament. Every time Israel would fall away and a king would come and would rise up and God would move on his heart and he would say, we must put things in order. And every time it actually lists it and all the scriptures will come up behind me and they restored Davidic, the Davidic order of worship. So you see it with Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah. Think about this, Hezekiah. For us it's like five verses. I mean five pages. We're like, okay, this king, that king. Is it just me that does that? I'm like, okay, I don't know that guy. I don't know that. You know, you just kind of go through it. You're like, oh, I read the whole book. It was great. You go through that. You know that Hezekiah, as an example, was 216 years or 220 years after David. America is only 247 years old. So when everyone's like, oh, we don't know what's happening, we don't know what's happening, they had this over and over and over and over. And God would move on someone's heart, and they would reestablish things in order in the nation. And it was never reestablished correctly without musical praise and worship. Josiah was the next one. You know that they lost the book of the law? Like they lost the Bible. They didn't have lots of Bible. Like they lost it. Like, oh, oops. And then this person goes and finds it, and then they go read it. And Josiah was the one. He was young. He was eight when he became king. Josiah reads. They read it to him, and his heart is broken, and he sets things in order. Actually, let's read that. Go to 2 Chronicles 35. It says, So the service was prepared, verse 10, And the priests stood in their places, and the Levites in their divisions, according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover offerings. That's the Moses system. And priests sprinkled the blood with, with their hands while the Levites skinned the animals. Very joyful. Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers, houses of the lay people, to offer to the Lord, as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle. And they roasted the Passover offerings with fire, according to the ordinance. But the other holy offerings they boiled in pots and cauldrons and pans and divided them quickly among all the lay people. Then afterwards they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were busy in burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore the Levites prepared portions for themselves. So I'm reading this because this is the part that everyone just got, like, okay, okay, Old Testament stuff. Like, you know, but it actually matters. And it says, the sons of Aaron were busy in burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, for the sons of Aaron. Verse 15, and the singers and the sons of Asaph were in their places according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer. And the gatekeepers, those were the 4,000 of second rank that we studied. The gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave their position because their brethren, the Levites, prepared portions for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with all the priests and the Levites. And it goes through it. And they restored the house of the Lord in order. Go down, and I'll read you. Go down to Ezra. Ezra 3. This is the next king who does it. And a couple of kings come, and then the Babylonian captivity came, and they swept them all away. I know this is a big history. You guys good? It's actually so important. And in Ezra 3, the next book over, 
you don't panic, it's very easy. Just keep paging. It says in verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, you know, they've now been restored from captivity. God moves on a pagan king's heart, says go build the temple. When they laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsibly. Responsibly means some were singing this, some were singing this, and they would go back and forth. Praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But that many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of their fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple from before the 70 years of captivity, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy and the noise from the weeping. Because there are people in every church, there are people in every generation that remember the move of God of many years ago. And they cannot even talk about it without this happening. And they know there's a way of God. There's the ways of God. We need to see the ways of God return to the church. And here's a people who see the ways of God coming back to reestablish the tabernacle of David and set up the praise and worship according to God's word. And the foundation is laid for the glory of God to come. All through it, I tell you, go read it. Now, it's amazing. But now, I want to teach you very little bit quickly on the seven Hebrew words for praise. I normally start with this, but the Lord didn't lead me to do it that way today. What was actually developed in David's day? And these seven words for praise show you what was actually, just by looking at them, it shows us what was actually developed. And then we'll talk about sacrifice and praise, and then we'll be done. First word we see is halal. It's only used twice before David's time, only twice, and neither of them was for musical praise. Halal, and then there's some scriptures that will come up as examples, but it's a primary, re, re, a primary root word for praise, and it's where we get our word hallelujah. It's where we get our word hallelujah. It means to be clear and brilliant, to, as to shine, to boast, to show forth, to act madly. Oh boy, Loudoun County. To act madly. To celebrate, to be made out or to be seen as to be a clamorous fool. This is David dancing with all his might before the Lord and his wife said he's acting like a fool. And unfortunately what happens, I can read these things and people go, oh, okay, and insecure people. So they go, and I've seen it, they go do all these things. But it's out of insecurity so everyone can see them. It has no spiritual impact. It just irritates can we just be honest? Hello. But when the Lord moves in the heart and we just don't, we throw off all restraint and we begin to worship God with absolute abandon, that's a lot. To hallelujah with my life, that's a lot. Developed in David's day. Second one, yada. It's actually the first word for praise in the Bible. Another root word. Gen you find it first mentioned in Genesis 29. The word, it comes from the word hand. It means to give thanks, to confess, to confess. It is the literal meaning is to raise the hand. How many times I heard, you know, from... <laughs> raising hands is not in the Bible. Ta-da! To raise the hand. Literally says that. And sometimes it actually, one of the, one of the uh, meanings is, as a child would stand before a father. Like this. Dad. In the Bible. Fully trusting, fully surrendering. Look at 2 Chronicles 20. Give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindnesses. Everlasting. And there's many examples. N next one. Toda. This is only used four times before David's day, and all of them had to do with the Levitical, you know, Thanksgiving sacrifices, not praise. So it was only came up in praise in David's day, and it literally means an extension of the hand in a vowel or acceptance. Like it's a, it, it, 
Sometimes it has the expression of, I'm going to praise you before I understand. I'm going to praise you in obedience, but I don't feel it. I'm going to worship you for your worth, but nothing's going on. That's Toda. I praise you because of you, not because of my life. I praise you because you're worthy of praise. Imagine feeling that you're going through every hour on the hour, a bunch of guys are coming in and playing in David's tabernacle. You think every time they were like, I'm so excited to go back to work. It was their work. No. They were like, oh, because they used to cast lots for their appointments. So much for the insecurity. Well, I played last week. It's my turn. I mean, come on. They played. They cast lots, sometimes ten times. Us again. Okay. Okay. Like, like, love you, love Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. You know? That's Toda. Shabbat. Not mentioned at all in the Bible before David's day. To address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph, to shout. There are some people who actually have like this anointing. You're in praise and you worship, and sometimes you hear a person, yeah! And it's like, it changes like the atmosphere in the room. And please, not all people do that right. I don't know how else to say, say it. They just make a noise. But there's this there's thing that rises up. Yeah! yeah! It's a it's biblical way of praise. praise. People are like, well, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, take it up with the Lord. And it actually says to shout, and then it says in the definition later, to soothe and to still. Showing you that this type is part of how to bring breakthrough in the Spirit. And then the presence of God comes. It's all through the Bible. Barak. Many times used before David's day because it is the thing of kneeling and blessing. So with the custom, it was always, you know, kneeling and blessing, but not so much with musical praise. Here it comes out as actually a form of expression of praise. When that sense comes to you, I need to get on my knees. I will bless the Lord in His house. I will kneel. I will bless Him. I will say I bless you, Lord. You know how many years I was a believer before I understood that actually we are called to bless the Lord? People think, well, how can I bless Him? I mean, He's... Praise. Lord, I will bless your name. That song, what's it? Uh, Come on, my soul. Bless the Lord. Forget the guy. Bless the Lord. Whether I feel like it or not, I bless the Lord. I will get on my knees before the Lord. I will bless Barak. I will bless the Lord. Zamar. Again, not before David's day. Deliberately doesn't show up in the Bible, in the Hebrew. And it means to touch, to pluck, play the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise, a musical word which is largely involved with joyful expressions of music. Didn't exist before David's day. Amos says that it was David who invented instruments. I believe he saw them in heaven and he invented them, never before seen on the earth. And then this last one is kind of a big deal. I wish I had time to go into it. Tehillah. Didn't exist before David, one time in the Bible with the song of Deborah. The singing of, comes from the word halal. The singing of halals, to sing, to lord, to involve music, especially singing hymns, especially singing and hymns of the Spirit. Tehillah was actually, it is this one, it is this one that God responds to every form of praise differently. But I don't know how else to say it but this, but this is the one he seems to come alive in. Psalm 22.3, God inhabits the praise of his people. It's this one he inhabits, Tehillah. You go look in the Hebrew, sometimes the Bible says, and we praised, and we praised, and we praised. It's English. It doesn't actually tell us anything. It says, and we yada, and we toda, and we halal. But when we tehillah, in, with uh, Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, it says that the singers went out before the army and says they all went out and they praised yada, and they praised halal, and they praised toda, and they, and they sang. But when they praised, it seems weird in the English. But when they praise, then God says, rose up and shattered the enemy. They're like, well, what do you mean when they praise? It says they praise and they praise and they praise. But in the Hebrew, it's all different. It says, but when they tehillah, God shatters the enemy. 
Tehillah is the singing forth. It's singing, but we have to understand it is singing in a sense it began with by the inspiration of the Spirit. Because there was no singing before David's day in terms of for praise and for worship. Even the name of the book of Psalms, the word psalm is a mizamor in Hebrew. That's actually what the word psalm is. But the, for some reason they called it psalms. But the word psalm, like the book of psalms in the Hebrew, is sefer tehillim. The book of the songs of Tehillah. Because all of those songs and all the psalms that they sung were Tehillah. They were spontaneous by the Spirit. There was sp oh, Spirit of God would come upon them, like I said, the first week, and they would have a recorder, a guy who was appointed to follow these people around, and he would take the song down and institute it in the school of music, or institute it in the David's tent. It was Tehillah praise. It was spontaneous because there were no songs that were recorded before that as musical worship, as musical praise, as an offering to the Lord. So they would sing. Why? Because they had so filled themselves, they were, in a sense, they had to, according to the school of, uh, under Ken and I and David, they had to know the Torah of Pahar. So they were so filled with the Word of God that then they would step into the presence of God, the ark, in the tent, and everything that was in them would start to, uh, by the Spirit, come out. And we have 150 psalms. Tehillah. It's just the one that God inhabits, and He inhabits this one different than all the others. I see it all through the Bible, every time through the Bible. Tehillah, the spontaneous, the, the new song. How many times in the Bible says, sing a new song to the Lord? It's Tehillah. Not every time does it have to be like this perfect, spontaneous, prophetic song. That's like a lot of pressure. But what happens is it comes out of the Spirit and out of the presence of the Lord, the atmosphere, and to healer. And it just means the singing of laws. But it all started with the spontaneous, which we will see is actually in the New Testament in a moment. And it came from the heart. It came from the heart. God inhabits, that word dwells in, abode, glory. He dwells in the praises of His people. What about, how about this one? Isaiah 61. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joyful mourning. How's this? The mantle of praise. Well, which one is that? Tehillah. It's actually like a mantle. The mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness or despair. There is an answer. Hello, Loudoun County. Anxiety. Depression. Depression. Says, says 2,000 years, years ago. Actually, in David's day, they wrote, uh, Solomon wrote, uh, anxiety in the heart of man will cause depression. It's nothing new. But there is, in a sense, a doctor's prescription in the scriptures as to what to do. It is just the last thing you feel like doing. That's why all seven forms of Hebrew praise have to do with your physical body. Why? Because the, as you start to do it, whether you feel like it or not, your body actually comes subjected to your spirit. Because your spirit wants to praise. Your spirit wants to worship. So there is a mantle of praise. And it is for it to take care of the spirit of heaviness, despair, anxiety. And I will stand up and I will begin to praise. And I don't mean this in a harsh way. Please hear what I'm about to say with a loving, I'm just, I just love you so much. Even though that I've said that, very, very few people will do it. Very few people will by themselves at home say, okay, this is what the Bible says. I'm going to actually stand up because it's weird. And it's awkward if it's not in your custom and your culture. To stand up by yourself. I do it all the time. And start to sing. And start to praise the Lord. And start, people are like, wow, that, that's, that's amazing. And then they go home, man, I'm just stressed. I'm just, I just, I don't know. And then complain and complain. There's a prescription. Use it. For the spirit of heaviness. Even the name of the book of Psalms, like I said, Sefer Tehillim, the books of the songs of Tehillah. 
What about in the New Testament church? Ephesians 5.19. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Pneumaticus ode in the Greek. Pneumaticus. Pneuma, breath. Holy Spirit, pneuma. Speaking to one another in psalms, that's the canonical psalms, in hymns, that's the known song. In other words, you sing a song like we sang this morning. We know the song. In psalms, in the known song, and in spiritual songs. Pneumaticus ode. Songs by the breath of the Spirit. It's a New Testament form of Tehillim. Most people, most churches are limited to one, maybe two. But God comes alive in number three. Spiritual songs. And there is literally teaching in the church today, across the earth. God doesn't do that like this. God doesn't do this. We don't. That's just emotion. That's just. It's in the Bible. So I get a little bit upset. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing! Singing, there it is. And making melody, where? In your heart. That doesn't mean I'm not singing. It just said singing. In your heart, to who? To the Lord. So it doesn't say speaking to each other. I'm not singing a psalm at my mother. That's weird. It means when we come together and we worship and we sing, it speaks to us. In my heart, to the Lord. What about Colossians 3? You know that the Bible says this twice. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Pneumaticus ode. Singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Again, in your heart to the Lord. In your heart to the Lord. What I love is the first one says, be filled with the Spirit and do that. The next one says, let the Word, Logos, let the Word be in you and do that. It's by the Word and by the Spirit. It is exactly the same as the tabernacle of David. Fill yourself up with the Word. You come into the presence of God corporately. We're in a sense where the ark was for us. The presence of the Lord has been opened. And we just start to praise. Whether I like it, whether... And because sometimes you have to start in the natural. I don't, f- I don't, feel, I don't feel it. Well, I don't care how you feel. We start in the natural. And you end in the Spirit. And it can come from the presence of the Lord, but it can also come from the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching one another. Admonishing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Can I talk to you very quickly about the sacrifice of praise? Am I running out of grace? Dwayne and I talk about it. We used to talk about it a lot. You never want grace to flow the wrong way. Just wait for the grace to stop flowing this way. Just as it comes to a standstill, then I'll stop. So, Hebrews 13 says this. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the praise, uh, the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. There are five or six New Testament sacrifices in a sense. They're spiritual sacrifices. It's not like you're going to go kill an animal. Praise is one of them. Now, I'm going to say this as fast as I can. As a New Testament priest, as a believer, if you're born into this, we have been chosen. We have been appointed. We have been separated. Be in the world, but not of it. We have been, we have been sanctioned in a sense. And we are called to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because the once for all sacrifices happen, Jesus Christ, and we can come into the presence of God and let the Word dwell in us richly and make a melody in your heart to the Lord and we begin to sing this, in a sense, to heal a praise. And God is enthroned, the Bible says, or inhabits or is enthroned in the praises of His people. Let me just say this, not in the praises of angels. Angels worship, they're the servants of God. We are His children. What means more to you when an employee comes to you and says something or when your child does? God is enthroned in the praises of His people. 
but sometimes it feels like a sacrifice. The New Testament says there's something called the sacrifice of praise. And then in case you're not, you find a way to make sure it's not singing, it says, comma, by this I mean the fruit of your lips. It's like it's singing. It's just, it's singing. Okay? And then it says this. How's this? Your walls will be called salvation. This is a scripture in Isaiah 60, verse 18. Your walls will be called salvation. Your gates praise. Can you save yourself? No. What is salvation? Salvation is what God does. You know that word is Yeshua? Same name of Jesus. Your walls will be called salvation. Yeshua. That's what God does. Your gates praise. Sha'er. Gates. Your gates praise. Of course that one is Tehillah. So, in Revelation, it says, it talks about the gates in heaven. It says, Revelation 21, 21, I think it is. Yep. It says, the gates are each made of one pearl. How are pearls formed? Irritation. How are pearls formed? Irritation. Your walls will be called salvation. There's something that only God can do. Then there's something you do. Your walls will be called salvation. Your gates, praise. That's what you do. God does that. You do that. In the kingdom, in heaven, the gates are made up of a pearl, which is formed by irritation. We have to understand that when we choose to come together and praise in adverse circumstances, we're actually forming a gate. We are forming something where God can enter and actually deal with what, we, what we're facing. It's we're forming something in the spirit. We don't feel like it. But I'm irritated. I'm upset. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. There's anxiety. Your gates are praised. That's what you do. And in, like, as pearls are formed with irritation, when in adverse circumstances, trying times, troubled times, and we will praise the Lord, you are actually forming a gate. You are forming a place for the Lord to break in. I, th I, th I thought it was better than the, the, the real. So, because the most necessary place to experience victory is in here. Once he is enthroned here, he can be enthroned out there. Once you have peace here, God can bring peace out there. That's why it says, that scripture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter his gates, his realms, his, like your approach to him is with thankfulness. That is Toda. Thank you, Lord. I don't understand, but I thank you. I bless your name. I thank you. I bless you. And then his courts, his presence with praise. Of course, that's Tehillah. Enter his courts with singing, a lot with praise. Now, the root, the root word of that word gate, sha'er, is a root word. That root word is used only one time in the entire Bible. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That word thinketh is the root word for gate. It's saying something. Saying how you think. How you reason, calculate, logic. This doesn't make sense. I'm not going to praise. It actually says it like this. Can you gonna go to that Proverbs 23, 7? It says that I have it somewhere. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. That's what Jesus said in Matthew in Mark 7. You worship me with the fruit of your lips, but your heart is far from me. Make melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing in your heart to the Lord. When we praise God genuinely from the heart, doesn't mean I feel it sometimes, but I mean it. I'm worshiping in spirit and in truth. The truth of who He is. The truth of what His Word says. The truth of what He has said to me. The truth, not my feeling. When I worship in the heart, a gate is formed in the spirit for God to enter in and deal with your family, your crisis, your finances, your nation. 
when we just go through the motions. I'm saying something, but I don't mean it. Nothing is formed. It's just, so, it's just words. Praise. I think that's enough for the day. I hope that made some sense to you. He will enter his courts with thanksgiving, but his gates with praise. Gates are formed through irritation. When we praise the Lord in adverse circumstances, you are creating a path for him to come. Even if you created those circumstances, Friends, there is nothing, there is nothing that you cannot go to the Lord about. He's not waiting with a stick. He has given us prescriptions, a mantle of praise for the spirit of despair. He has given us ways. There are ways of God. The Holy Spirit is waiting for people to recognize and learn and see the ways of God so that He can be Himself when we come into agreement. And this, what I'm telling you today, is a way of God from the Old Testament to the New. I encourage you, do it. You know how awkward I've felt at times when I'm standing there and I've gone away on a retreat with the Lord and I'm standing there and I'm singing and sometimes like when my dad sings, it's, I don't know, it's like just a joyful noise, you know. It's pretty rough, you know. It's not just about all wonderful sounds. No, it's from the heart to the Lord. And you can be honest, look at the Psalms. Because in praise, there's a duality. It's like that song, Amazing Grace, which is why I think it stands the test of time. Because there's reality in it. I was a wretch. I'm struggling. I'm this, but God. I this, but God. That's praise. Ah, Lord, but you. Ah, Lord, but you. Ah, Lord, but you. But that's praise. And praise will lead you into worship. Anyway, why don't we stand? Thank you.